We're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. Uh, if you're using the Bible provided for you, it's on page 871. And we're going to get there in just a moment. Because I want to talk about New Year's. New Year's Day is a special day. It is a day that we reflect on the past year and we look forward to the new. We reflect on what transpired in our lives over the past year, what God has taken us through. Our successes, our triumphs and achievements and our failures, things that we really need to try to do better at, our sad moments and our joyous occasions. We also, though, look ahead. And in this, we have a time-honored tradition of making New Year's resolutions. Now, how many of you all made New Year's resolutions? All right, a few, a few, okay. Well, this is good. Um, if you haven't yet, I'm gonna help you out a little this morning. I uh, took a moment to Google the top 10, the top 10 New Year's resolutions that were made in 2016. So maybe this will help you out. So of all the people they surveyed, 37% said that they wanted to stay fit and healthy in 2016. It's not bad. 32% wanted to lose weight in 2016. 28% said that they were going to enjoy life to the fullest. 25% said they wanted to do better with money. They wanted to spend less and save more. It's not bad. 19, uh, excuse me, 19% said they wanted to spend more time with family and friends. 18% wanted to get organized. That's not bad either. I could do with that one. 16% um, vowed that they wouldn't make any New Year's resolutions. Okay. That's, you can go with that. That's top 10. 14% uh, said they wanted to learn something new. 14% wanted to travel more. And 12% wanted to be more well-read. So you can choose from any of these. Uh, I looked at a lot of different lists on the internet, and they basically all said the same thing if in a few different orders. But uh, these are the most popular resolutions. And you know what? They're not, they're not too bad. They're fine. There's certainly nothing inherently wrong with these goals. But I think that if we look at them a little closer, um, they tell us something about ourselves. They tell us something about our culture. If these are the most popular goals that people make, it ought to tell us something about our culture. You see, I... Uh, took a business planning class in college a while back. A long while back, it seems like now. But uh, I learned something, I took something with me. We were talking about creating a mission and a vision, setting goals and establishing core values for a company. And the lesson was this, a company's goals should always reflect its core values. So the goals that a company sets for itself reflect its core values. So if its core values is to be environmentally friendly, to keep the customer first, to respect their employees, their goals should reflect those values. Well, I believe our goals do no less. Our goals do exactly the same thing. When we make goals for ourselves, they reflect what we deem most important in our lives. So, let's look at these goals again. Let's look at these goals again. We have to ask ourselves, does this accurately portray our culture's most valued goals? I mean, do they accurately portray our culture's core values? What might they be then if we look between the lines 
image, lifestyle, money management, relationships, intelligence, having the freedom to do what you want and go where you want. I'd say those are pretty accurate if we look at this list. And they're not bad, those are good values, but I think they're dangerous if we hold them as most important. If we hold those values at most important, then we're in danger because all of those values, with the possible exception of one of them, have something in common. They all change. With the exception of one, and I'll get to it later, all of these goals reflect values that do not stay the same across our lives. They change. Money changes, lifestyles changes, image certainly changes. None of it is eternal. Those values are all temporary. So my goal this morning is twofold. Number one, I wanna encourage you in the hope of Jesus Christ this morning. And number two, I want to get you to think a little differently, to shift your perspective. Because I think if we look at this and we look at the values of our culture, the problem with, the, the problem with them is that they are far too short-sighted. They are short-sighted. And instead of thinking about our lives as we make our goals, instead of thinking about our lives over the next year, we ought to be thinking about our lives in the scope of eternity. So I wanna move us from the focus on the temporal and place us, place our focus on the eternal. Because if you see your life in the scope of eternity, then your values will probably change. Your resolutions will probably change. But I know this is not how we usually think. It's not natural to us. And I know this because I know myself. It's very easy for me to go through every day of my life thinking about what is right in front of me. The cares of this world are enough to fill my thoughts every day. How's my bank account? How are my kids doing in school? How's my relationship with my wife? Oh, what about my job? Now I have to fix my car. Did I get the groceries? Did I pay the bills last month? And the list goes on and on. And those are just the ones that come to the top of my head. I didn't even talk about all the places that we have to go and people that we have to see. When is there time to think about eternity? It's easy to focus on life right now. And it's difficult to contemplate eternity. And our world sees no value in it. Our world sees no value in it. And that was pretty apparent last night as I was watching uh, Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, kind of a tradition. But every year as I see the new celebs and the new artists that come on, they project a lifestyle that is so short-sighted and so not what the Bible tells us that we ought to be thinking about. And I think this is the case. I think our culture thinks this way because, I think we think this way, because we don't wanna face the elephant in the room. Okay, okay, there we go. If, if all of life is a big room, then I propose that there is a big fat elephant standing right in the middle of it, something like that, and it's staring right at you. Um, you know, we don't like to acknowledge it, 
We don't like to look at it. We don't like to talk to it. That elephant's name is death. That elephant's name is death, and it's in the middle. If our life is a room, it's right there in the middle looking at us. And we would love, if we could, to spend our entire lives not thinking that that exists. But the truth of the matter is it does. And it is the great equalizer of mankind. It doesn't matter who you are. You have this elephant staring at you. It doesn't matter how much money you make, your ethnicity, nothing. It equalizes all of us. But when we acknowledge this, then it gets us thinking differently. When we acknowledge that death is the elephant in the room, then thinking about eternity all of a sudden becomes pretty important to us. It does. It becomes pretty important to us when we realize that we are all dying. I told you this morning I was going to encourage you. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I'm going to make a huge assumption this morning, a big assumption this morning. I'm going to assume, as we go through this lesson together, I'm going to assume that there is life after death, that heaven and hell are real, and that we will spend all of eternity in one of those two places. That is a big assumption. We could spend entire sermon series, indeed people have written entire books on the subject. But if you look in the New Testament, if you look at Jesus' teachings, it doesn't take you too long if you look anywhere, where he's going to be talking about a literal heaven or a literal hell. So suffice it to say that I think he believed in this assumption. There is life after death, heaven and hell are real, and we're going to spend all of eternity in one of those two places. But I think we already know this already, deep down. Though our world doesn't acknowledge it, we know deep down in our hearts that there's something more than the 70 or 80 years that we're here on earth. Because in Ecclesiastes, the writer says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has put eternity into the hearts of man. We're born this way. There is an inherent longing for it. We're made for eternity. When you think about it, without sin, Adam and Eve would still be around. It says in James that Death only came about as the result of sin. We were made for eternity. But again, this doesn't mean that everyone accepts this. We look the other way. We reason within ourselves. We think of anything we can to not acknowledge the elephant in the room. We'd rather not think about the end of our lives here on earth. But working with this assumption... I want us to look at one of Jesus' parables this morning in Luke chapter 12. This is a tough one because it hits so close to home. It hits so close to what I think of as the American dream. But Jesus has a wonderful way, always has, of turning our logic around on its head. So here we go, Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, this is Jesus talking, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Well, and if I were to answer that, I would say, well, God did. <laughs> um, but Jesus, has, Jesus chooses not to take his place as judge or arbitrator over you. 
And because Jesus is gonna teach the man something much more important. Verse 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, which is a story designed to illustrate a truth, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now I want to take a break here. Um, You know this story is probably not going to end well. You know that because the man is talking to himself. And and he's just asking himself the question. He didn't ask his wife. (laughs) I've been married for eight years and I know that by now if I have something important to decide and I don't ask my wife, it's not gonna end well for me. I'll be sleeping out in the car, which is why I bought a bigger one, it's more room. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So he didn't ask anybody, he asked himself. And you know, left to our own devices, we usually don't come up with the best answers. We usually don't. But you know, this man wasn't crazy, I don't think. This man had worked hard to build his business all his life, and now he comes and he's a little older, and it's successful, and it's prosperous, and he just wants to retire and live in comfort. That's not crazy. That's not bad. It's the American dream. (laughs) But... In verse 20, but God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Ouch. When God calls someone out and calls him a fool, you best pay attention. It's not good. Jesus was basically telling this man who had the question, who was worried. The man's question wasn't bad either. He just wanted his share of the inheritance. He had a right to it. But Jesus is telling this guy, you are so blind to reality. Your focus couldn't be further from what really matters. See, the man with the question and the rich man in the story had their focus on this world. They had let their lust for possessions overcome their desire for God. And sadly, it sounds familiar. It sounds familiar to me. But you may be thinking to yourself, and I've thought this myself as well, that, you know, I can focus on things of the world and still keep my focus on God. You know, it's not that easy to lose focus on God. God's pretty big. A little care, the cares of the world are small compared to God, so it's not that easy. It's not as easy as it seems in the story to lose focus on God and what really matters. Well, I put a penny in your chair for a reason, and uh, if you're superstitious or OCD, they were all heads up, so that took me a while. Um, (laughs) So take out your penny, all right? Help me out here, This, this illustration cost me like eight bucks. So, take this penny out. 
Um, this penny is small, wouldn't you agree? And that cross is big. That's, that's like 10 feet tall. That cross is big, and this penny, in comparison, is tiny. I would put it up there, and you probably couldn't even see this penny. All right, but if you hold this penny out, and hold it like out with your arm, and then just focus on this penny, what happens to the, your view of the stage? It becomes a little blurry, doesn't it? When you're focused, even though the penny's out here, when you focus on the penny, the, everything behind it becomes a little blurry, even though the cross is big. What Jesus did on the cross is the crux of our faith. Now, sometimes life throws us curveballs, and the worries of this world can become a lot for us to handle. And so what do we do? We feel like we have to hold on to everything that we can, can control tighter, and we hold it closer. And so take out that penny and hold it closer, and closer, and closer, and closer. And you know, pretty soon, that penny becomes all you see. And the journey from here to here is really not that far. The cares of this world, if you don't put them in their proper place, can easily block out what really matters, if we let it. Now, Peter was listening to God and was listening to Jesus and Jesus turned to his disciples and I'm gonna paraphrase the next little bit because he turns to his disciples and he says this exact thing. He says, do not be anxious. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Because guess what? The ravens, they don't plant food, they don't have storehouses and yet God provides for them. Who of you by worrying can even add an hour to your life? And that's what the story of the rich fool illustrates. He was able to acquire everything that he wanted in life except more time. And God goes on, or Jesus goes on to say, and, and the lilies, they don't toil or spin, and yet God has clothed them more gloriously than Solomon. And the grass, God takes care of it when it's here today and gone tomorrow. How much more will he clothe you? Verse 29. Here's the key. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. This has a parallel verse that many of us are more familiar with in Matthew 6.33. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. So we, to cure our short-sightedness, need to seek first the kingdom of God. We need a change of perspective. We need to live our lives in light of the reality of heaven believing that there is life after death, that there is heaven and that Christ will return and a new earth will be formed. If we believe that, then that ought to change how we live today. Peter was listening that day and Peter would not have an easy road ahead of him. Peter would deny Christ, see him crucified and the joy of seeing him risen and then the guilt of knowing that he had denied him 
but yet Christ would restore him and give him the responsibility of building the church. And by tradition, we know that Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. So what truth helped Peter live the way that he lived? I believe that it was the truth in Peter's belief and conviction that Christ would return. If you look, if you turn over uh, to 2 Peter chapter three, so go all the way to Revelation and then go back a few pages. 2 Peter chapter three. What Peter is doing, he's talking about his assurity that Christ will come again. See, the early Christians believed that he was coming now and that's how they lived their lives. And he said, you know, scoffers are gonna come and they're gonna make you seem like the fool. But don't worry, the Lord has a plan. Remember, they scoffed at Noah. And so in chapter three, we get to verse 10. And I think Peter is gonna tell us here how we seek the kingdom. Verse 10, but, in the, day of the, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Peter was saying, hey, don't think of God's patience his waiting to come back as a bad thing. Count it as salvation because the more he waits, the more people can be saved. So count it as salvation. But there are three things I believe, I'm gonna give you three things to take with you this morning. In order to seek the kingdom of God, Peter gives us three things in these verses. One, to seek the kingdom, we need to live holy and godly lives. Holy and godly lives, verse 11. And he, he expounds upon it in verse 14. He says, be found spotless and blameless and at peace. And I think what this means, what he's trying to get at, we, live, we need to live holy and godly lives because we understand what Christ did for us. If we understand what we were purchased from, the fate that we were destined for that he pulled us out of, then it should encourage us to live holy and godly lives. We talked about, Sam, Pastor Sam talked about last week about how our hope is in our adoption as sons and as daughters. And in fact, heirs with Jesus Christ. He didn't just save us from, from death, he did much more. He adopts us as sons and daughters, makes us heirs with Christ, meaning we are loved in the same way Christ Jesus is loved. That is amazing. And when we realize that truth of the gospel, it should be no problem for us to want to live, to be motivated by it, to live holy and godly, and to find the joy and the hope that comes in it. 
Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven, and uh, it's really good. I encourage you all to read it. And he said in it, understanding heaven doesn't just tell us what to do, but it tells us why we do it. When we understand what God has given us as heirs, heaven, that is amazing. Out of gratitude and thankfulness, we should live holy and godly lives for Jesus and so show the world the conviction of our faith. Number two, says to wait for the day of the Lord. Now, I kind of like how the NIV said it um, because it says to look forward to the day of the Lord. Seems like a more action word for me. Says to look forward to the day of the Lord because I think what he meant by this is that home should motivate us. And this is not our home. Granted, you all have wonderful houses where your families are, and, and that's home here, but this is not our home. We are sojourners. We're stopping by on our way. This is not our home. Now, if any of you have been on a vacation, there, you know that there comes a point in every trip where no matter how good the vacation is, there comes a point where you're like, okay, this is great, but I'm ready to get home. Because there's no place like home. My family and I, uh, Lindsay and our two daughters, we have a four-year-old daughter named Karis and a 10-month-old daughter named Lena, um, decided to take a family trip a month ago before Thanksgiving. And uh, we were gonna take our daughters out to see her family out west in Kansas and Nebraska because both of her grandmothers were turning 90, uh, which was pretty awesome. And so I was scared to death of getting our 10-month-old on a plane. So we didn't fly. We rented a minivan, and we drove to Kansas um, with a 10-month-old and a four-year-old. <laughs> fabulous. And so by the end of this trip, <laughs> we had all gotten sick at one day or another. I was getting sick on the way back, but Karis had been sick, Lena had been sick, and we were done. The kids did not want to be in the van anymore. It didn't matter what movie we had going. We were done. We were so motivated to get home that on the way back, we made it from Lincoln, Nebraska to Knoxville, Tennessee in one go. One day. It took like 17 hours. And it was horrible. But we made it back. <laughs> because uh, we were so motivated by the idea of home. The idea of heaven ought to motivate us in the same way. Heaven is our home. We have an eternity with God to look forward to. And so we ought to be running that way. It ought to motivate us through this life. Alcorn says again, he says, he puts it perfectly. He says, I've never been to heaven, yet I miss it. Eden's in my blood. The best things of life are souvenirs from Eden, appetizers of the new earth. There's just enough of them to keep us going, but never enough to make us satisfied with the world as it is, or ourselves as we are. We live between Eden and the new earth, pulled towards what we once were and what we yet will be. I wish I could talk like that. <laughs> We're between and that is how we look forward to the day of God and how it should motivate us. Thirdly, 
In order to seek the kingdom, we need to live holy and godly lives. We need to wait for, to look forward to the day of God. And he says something weird. He says, thirdly, you ought to hasten its coming. How do you do that? How do you hasten the coming of the day of the Lord? What does that mean? The Bible says we don't know when he's coming, like a thief in the night, but to hasten it. I think what he means is this. As we are waiting, we are not to wait passively or idly. We are to wait actively, joining in God's work of redemption, sharing our faith, participating in ministry with other Christians, building the church, and in doing so, we usher in the kingdom of heaven. We hasten, we hasten the coming of the day of the Lord by focusing on the things in life that will last for eternity. Now, all of those resolutions that I put up there, with the possible exception of one, will never last, unless you're reading your Bible more. Um, but the one it said, spend more time with family and friends. Now what they most likely, what most people mean by that is they wanna spend more time at barbecues, more time hanging out, going to events, and building relationships that way. But that's the one thing that will last for eternity, that will make an impact for eternity. When we invest in other people for the glory of God, we make impacts for eternity. When we invest in ourselves, we make, in ourselves, in our relationship with God, our own relationship with God, we make an impact for eternity. Why? Because souls are eternal. Souls are eternal. Everything else is like the grass. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Our lives here can be like that. Here today and gone tomorrow but yet our world so tells us to focus on the here. Um, there's a really cool illustration and the students have seen it before, but I can't think of anything better to kind of illustrate my point. This is a rope, and what this rope is gonna represent is your existence, okay? So this rope represents your existence. And let's just pretend that it goes on and on and on for eternity because you were made for eternity, all right? So your life begins here and it goes on and on and on for eternity. This black tape part right here, it's maybe three inches long. This black tape part represents your life here on earth, okay? So tell me, who is the fool? The one who works so hard sacrificing everything so that they might live comfortably right here at the very end? Sacrifices relationships, money, blood, sweat, and tears so that they can have a comfortable 15 years of retirement? Or the one that takes all of this and invests it in all of that? Millions and millions of years, eternity with God. It's pretty simple where we ought to invest our time. We need to seek the kingdom of God. And I'm gonna leave you with 
I'm gonna leave you with a quote by Richard Baxter. He's a famous Puritan theologian. And he issues forth a challenge. He says, if there be so certain and glorious a rest for the saints, why is there no more industrious seeking after it? One would think if a man did but once hear of such unspeakable glory to be obtained and believed what he heard to be true, then he should be transported with the vehemency of his desire after it and should almost forget to eat and drink and should care for nothing else but how to get this treasure. And yet people who hear of it daily and profess to believe it as a fundamental article of their faith do as little minded or labor for it as if they had never heard of any such thing or did not believe one word they hear. Let us not be like that latter person. Let us be the ones who forget to eat or drink. Remember, Jesus said, don't be anxious. Don't worry about what you will eat. Your father knows what you need. Instead, seek his kingdom. Live in light of heaven. And so as the band comes up and plays one more song for us, I want you to reflect in, your, in yourself. If God has stirred your heart perhaps for the first time and has caused you to think of your life in light of eternity and you're wondering where you are in all of that, what to do next, if God has opened your eyes to such things this morning, then you have the opportunity to be saved today. Jesus said to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is that with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It is that simple and that glorious. So if that is you today, if you have any questions, then I invite you as the band plays to come forward and talk to one of our pastors. For those of you who are already on this journey as the church, then I challenge you this morning to consider your life in light of the reality of heaven and how, ask God how he would want you to live. Use this time to pray for the people in 2017 that God will bring across your path, that you might have that opportunity to impact their lives for eternity. Ask God today what he wants you to do so that you might grow yourself closer to him in 2017. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for what you did on the cross for doing as much as making us sons and daughters, heirs with you, if we would just accept and believe and confess. Lord God, I pray that your will will be done this morning, that your kingdom will grow, that you will be glorified by our thoughts and actions this year. Lord, I praise you and I give you all the glory. It's in your name, amen.